All right. Let me pray as we come and uh, look at God's Word together. So would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for your Word. All many different parts of it. But tonight as we look at the law and some crazy and strange laws, help us to understand them. Help us to know how to read them and particularly what we should do about applying them. So Father, help me to speak clearly and for everybody to listen carefully. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you about a Texan. This bloke is a filthy, rich Texan. He's a billionaire and he owns a massive ranch in Texas. And out the back of his ranch, he built this huge swimming pool. And he loved to have lots of people over for pool parties. But one thing he did was he put a shark in his pool. (laughs) Anyway, he invited his friends over and he would then say to them, I've got a challenge for you. Anybody who can do one lap of my pool... I'll give them one of three things. Either you can choose a $10 million check. Or secondly, you can have half of my estate and I'm filthy rich when I die. Or thirdly, you can have the hand of my daughter in marriage. One night, he invites all his uh, friends over And they're standing around the pool and he's explaining the challenge when all of a sudden you hear splash and he turns around and watches one of his guests belting up the pool and the shark says, ah, food. And so the the shark's after him. He's belting up the pool. He gets the other end. He just gets his feet out out of the water when the shark thuds into the end of the pool. And the Texan goes... Well, I I haven't seen that happen before. So, what do you want? I've got my checkbook here. $10 million. And the bloke goes, keep keep your money, mate. As he spits out the water. Well, maybe half my estate. I am filthy rich. And uh, you can have half my estate. He says, no, I don't, I don't want your state. Oh, I know. I know. My daughter. My daughter's hand in marriage. I, I, you can have her as your wife. Oh, I don't want that. Hey, she can marry whoever she wants. And he goes, the Texan goes, well, what, what do you want, mate? Well, what I want is to know the name of the man who pushed me in. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, uh, coming, <laughs> coming into the middle of Exodus, especially being dumped with the law, is like being in the pool with the shark. Oh, dearie me. But we've come to Exodus, and um, I told Dave, Dave told me that we've been doing Exodus, and we started over a year ago, so why don't I give us a quick Recap. There we go. The law. 
The Israelites were in Egypt 400 years and during that time they became a great nation but they were made into slaves. And then one boy was born named Moses. He was put into a basket, put amongst the the reeds of the sea there and then the daughter of Pharaoh comes and picks up this baby, takes him in raises him as as if he was a king or a prince and he's taught all the ways of Egypt and then as a man he becomes the leader of the Israelites and so goes to Pharaoh and says let my people go Pharaoh says not a chance and so ten plagues come on all of Egypt. And so you get the blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and and you know the whole lot of them, the hail, the darkness and so on until we get to the 10th plague. The 10th plague is the angel, the, the destroyer who comes across all of Egypt and as he comes, he comes to destroy the firstborn male in every household. And as the angel comes and destroys anyone who has not got the blood painted on the doorframe, ends up dead. Even Pharaoh's son, his firstborn son, lies still and motionless. And so Pharaoh says, get up, get out of here and get out of my sight. And so that night about midnight, All the Israelites wander out of Egypt and wander down to the Red Sea. Later that day, maybe a day or two later, Pharaoh comes to his senses. I've let them all go. No, I'm going to get them back. And so he gets his chariots, he gets his army, and he rides full belt to grab those Israelites back. The Israelites scared out of their brains. Then watch a miracle as God divides the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land. They walk to the other side. And when they get to the other side, they see the waters collapse and destroy the army of the the Egyptians. There and then, God saves his people. And so with one deliverance after another, God repeatedly saves his people on the journey. They started in Goshen, in Egypt. They went to the Red Sea crossing. Then they went to the bitter waters where they ran out of water and God made the waters clean so they could drink. He led them to 70 palm trees and an oasis where the water supply was abundant Then they ran out of food, and so he fed them with manna and quail as they ended up at Mount Sinai at the bottom. And so from all the way, from Goshen to Mount Sinai, we see God delivering them again and again. And there at Mount Sinai, what do we get? Well, we had the the sermon from Dave last week. He told you how Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And he he told you about 
a little bit how to understand the Ten Commandments and the law, well, I want to expand it beyond the Ten Commandments today. I want to look at the law in a broader sense. See, the whole book of Exodus up to this very point has been making one point and one point only. Through the ten plagues, it was God who saved Israel. As they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, it is God who saved Israel. As they watched the waters collapse on the Egyptian army wiping them out, it was God who saved Israel. When they walked into the desert and they had no water, it was God who supplied the water and saved Israel. When they had no food, it was God who sent down from heaven manna and quail and all sorts of food like that. It is God who saved Israel. Again and again and again, the point's being made, God saved Israel. And so it tells us a little bit about the order of salvation. Salvation comes first. They should have got that. Three, four, five, six months worth of, worth of events showed them salvation came first. And then the law was given as a response to God's salvation. You see, the law is never a way to salvation. Friends, it's really important. They couldn't live up to the law. You can't live up to the law. You can never, by your goodness, get yourself into heaven by obeying the law. That was never the way. It is a response to your salvation. So the first important lesson that we need to understand, salvation first, then the law. But it brings us back to the question. What do we do with the law? How do we understand the law? Well, Jesus gives us a perspective on the law. His understanding should be our understanding. And so from Matthew chapter 5, we read these words. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Not the least squiggle or the dot or a T or a cross will disappear from the law. But when Jesus comes, what does he do? He fulfills the law. That is, he does every part of the law in his life and accomplishes everything in the law. And then he says to us, well, 
What do I want from you? I want your obedience to go beyond the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are a, they get a bad rap in many ways, don't they? And deservedly so. The Pharisees were your model like priests. They were your model citizen who obeyed the law, every part of the law. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, I've put him one too, too early. <clears throat> they would tithe everything. You know what a tithe is? 10%. So if you're a farmer and you had sheep, you go one sheep, two sheep, three sheep, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one for God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one for God. If you had bushels of wheat, you'd put one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine bushels that side, one for God. That's how it worked. And everybody did it. But the Pharisees said, not just there, every part of your life. So when they got out their cooking instruments and, uh, and they got the, the mint, one little stalk, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one for God. And then they did it with the mint, the, the dill. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one for God. Even with the seeds of the common, little seeds, nine, then one. They would tithe down to the most smallest part. And now Jesus says, your goodness, your righteousness needs to exceed this. Needs to be better than this. Otherwise you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, your righteousness needs to be more thorough, more exact, more comprehensive, more exhaustive. And how can you do that? Galatians tells us something very clear about the law. Let me read it to you. It is very important you get this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery that is the yoke of slavery to the law. Again, I declare that to every man uh, who had lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And so what we get from this passage is either you're not under the law, any part of it, or you have to obey all of it. It's either nothing or it's everything. Nothing or everything. No, the Bible's telling you and me we're free from the law in the Old Testament. doesn't matter whether it's the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter whether it's the laws we read out tonight. Every command and law in the Old Testament, you are no longer obligated to keep. It's radical, isn't it? Nothing in the Old Testament you need to keep. So, how are we supposed to please God then? Well, I'm glad you asked. Come with me in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, page 985 of your Bibles, page 985. I really want you to look at this one because this is a really important text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, page 985. Come with me there. I want you to read it with me. It's not up on the screen. In your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. It's right at the bottom of page 985 of your Bibles. Let me read it to you. The Apostle Paul says this, chapter 9, verse 19, Though I am free, 
and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Now notice the brackets. Though I myself am not under the law. Why? So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one uh, not having the law. Notice the brackets. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. Why? So to win those not having the law. We need to understand, friends, I don't know what you think, that you are not under the law. Not any of it. But you are under Christ's law. You say, well, what is Christ's law? Well, that comes out very clearly in uh, Matthew 22. How do we serve Christ? Let me get, I'll put this out of order. Matthew 22. Let me read you. This tells you what Christ's law is. Teacher, one of the people, asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment there is in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament, hang on these two commandments. Every part of the Old Testament hangs on the law of Christ, which is to love God and to love your neighbor. To love God and to love your neighbor. If you love God with your whole heart, if you love your neighbor with your whole heart, then you'll obey every part of the Old Testament. Sounds strange, doesn't it? How does that work? How does love obey every law? Well, it's about attitude. Attitude of love. Let me, let me go. You guys, some of you may be dating each other. Love. What, is, what a guy will do for a girl when they're dating. They will go to the ballet. They might want to go down to Brookvale Oval, but they will go to the ballet. They will go shopping all day long to be with their girl. They might even hand over a bit of money for her sake. They will go out for dinner. They will go to the movies. They will go for picnics. They'll do all sorts of things. Let me tell you about the time I was dating Mary. I lived over an hour at the other side of Sydney from where she was living. And I decided one day... I'm going to get up and make her breakfast. 6 a.m., I got out of bed. I couldn't believe it. Went to the the fruit market, got all of her favourite fruits. Went all across the other side to where she was living in the eastern suburbs. I chopped up all the, um, the fruit. I put the cereals out, brewed the coffee for her and her flatmate. And they had a great breakfast. Now, why would I get up at 6 a.m., especially if I'd been out late the night before? Why would I do that? Love. When I went out with Mary, 
She didn't hand me a piece of paper and say, here's the first five rules of dating me. You know, like, don't, uh, don't feed me tomato because I don't like it. Uh, I want you to comment on how, how good I look. I, she doesn't do that. You don't do that, do you? Don't, it's not about a bunch of rules. It's about love. It's about an attitude. Okay, so if it's about an attitude, how does love help you with the law? Well, I have an example for you. Let's try this one. It comes from Deuteronomy 22. Let me read it to you. When you build a new house, make a parapet, that is a fence, around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. So what do we want to say? The first thing we want to say about this law is that we're not under it. I don't want you to go out tomorrow Go down to Bunnings, get the wood, and start getting up onto your roof and building a fence around it. My guess is not many people, unless you have a flat roof, actually go up on your roof. I don't want you to do that. You're not under the law. So how would love understand this command? Well, the principle behind this command is not cause another person an injury when they're on your property. Love says that in all our properties, we're to make sure our houses are safe. There's no trip hazards. There's no dodgy PowerPoints, so they get electrocuted if they use one. No water on the floor that would make them slip over and trip. No cracked concrete, or if there is some, that there's a sign so they understand. No chairs with this dodgy leg, so when they sit down, they fall on their backside. Love applies this law much greater than a fence on your roof. In fact, I could go home now, put a fence on my roof, which is on a unit block, and we're not on the top one, so we, you can't even get to the roof, and I could put a fence around it, and I could say, I've done the law, tick. And I can have a very dangerous house when you walk in. PowerPoints don't work well. There's things on the ground that might make you trip over, that there is, you know, water on the bathroom floor. You get the idea? You can do the law and tick it off, but you haven't gone to the spirit of the law. Love says, I explode this law into such a greater law about loving my neighbor. You can obey the law, but miss the spirit of the law altogether. Love makes you go further than even what's in the Old Testament. Let's come now to Exodus 22. You've been wanting to know. Let's come back in your Bibles, second book of the Bible, Exodus 22. Let me read to you something about donkeys. So come with me to Exodus 22, and let's have a look at donkeys, chapter 22, verse 10. Let me read it for you. Let me read it for you. I've actually got it here anyway, Exodus 22. But if you're there, if anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken a while while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord. 
that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. Well, the issue of this law is about telling truth. Let me ask you, put up your hand if you have a donkey at home. A sheep? Ox? Of course not. You live in urban freshwater or somewhere around here. Not many people have donkeys. But what's the issue here? It's about telling the truth. You see, if you have a, do- a donkey and uh, you give it and, and you mind it for a friend and the donkey wanders off and you never see it again, what, what do we do? You didn't see the donkey wander off. They've given it to you, so they haven't seen the donkey wander off. What do we do? Well, what we do is we say, in God's name, I'm going to make an oath. Now, I don't know when you were at school. When I was at school, we said, on my mother's grave, this is true. Now, all of our mothers were still alive. So you know exactly what they were saying was a lie when they said that. But... You get the idea when they swore it was trying to say, I'm telling you the truth. But what happens if you invoke God's name, the living God over all the world? You're saying God who is a witness to everything that is done in secret knows my heart. I invoke him as the witness that I did not destroy the donkey. You say, well, that's easy, Stuart. They just lie, get away with it, no problems. He might have sold it, taken the money, sweet. But when you invoke God's name and say, by the living God, this is what happened, and you're telling a deliberate and willful lie, when you come to the judgment day, you've disgraced the name of the holy God. And he will not be happy if you do that. That is why when you do take on God's name, you are taking and saying the truth and people are to accept it. So what does that mean for us? Because we're not about donkeys. How, How do we tell the truth? Well, it means telling the truth every bit of the truth all the time with your friends. You don't leave anything out. You don't add anything to it. You just say the truth, the plain truth. And so maybe your boss asks you, why are you late to work? Oh, it's the trains again, mate. It's the trains. It's the trains. They're hopeless. Oh, the kids, they had a meltdown before I was getting out the door. I was really sorry. Oh, had a phone call. I had to take it. Had to take the phone call. That's why I'm late. No. I stayed up too late on Sunday night watching my favourite movie. I slept through my alarm. That's why I'm late. But what if it's the fourth time in the last two weeks your boss has talked to you about being late? And, And maybe your job is on the line because you've been late all those times. And, and the boss asks you again, why are you late again for the fifth time? Don't have to take an oath, but you need to say, because I stayed up too late on Sunday night, 
I slept through my alarm, and that is what I was late. It might cost you your job, but your love for the truth, your love for God, makes you tell the truth. You don't need to swear by God. Last one. The last verse of chapter 22. This is a ripper. Have a look at it. You are to be my holy people, so do not eat meat of an animal torn by a wild beast, throw it to the dogs. Now, what do you want to say about this law? You'll be glad to hear you're not under the law. So you're free to eat some roadkill if you want. <laughs> you can do that if you want. It's not what I'm partial to. But if you're really hard and, and the, the, it's been torn apart by the wheel of a car, well, what does love have to do with this one? Well, you know what? In the Bible, many of the laws, maybe up to half the laws, are about one thing. Being holy being distinct, being different from everybody else around you. And so, how are you to be wholly distinct and different? How will that happen? See, the law is a reminder that you belong to God, a holy God. And so what does it mean when you're around your non-Christian friends? At school, at uni? in the workplace? What does it mean for you to be distinct, to be different? Well, it means you, you won't laugh at the dirty jokes that your mates were telling. Or you won't tell them yourself. You won't get into cursing and foul language coming from your mouth because you want to be different. You want to be holy. The one that is a favourite at every morning tea is to have a whinge about the boss, to gossip about the boss or somebody at work. But you're going to say, no, I'm not going to gossip. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be distinct from the world around me. I will keep my word no matter what the cost will be. When I make a promise, maybe to go to a party, I won't back out at the last minute. I will be different. I will tell my friends who will laugh at me, who will ridicule me, who will think that I'm an idiot, why I have a faith in Jesus Christ. Because I want to be holy and I want to be distinct. I will honour God and I will love the Lord my God. There you go. Maybe out of tonight, you may have had a new appreciation of the law. You're not under it. But love explodes the law. So maybe you might read it. You've never read Exodus 20 to 24 because it has all those laws that were read out tonight. Maybe this week you might read them and think, well, how does love change the way I view these laws? How might I love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and strength? And how will I love my neighbour as myself. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you and praise you for the law. It is strange to us. We rarely read it and we find it obscure and we find it 
almost irrelevant to our lives. We thank you that the Lord Jesus' death means we're no longer under that law. Father, we pray that we would use love to inform the way we live. As we read the Old Testament, as we read the laws, as we understand what is happening, O oh Lord God, that it would give us a new appreciation for your character. Help us live with love toward you and our brothers and sisters and indeed to the whole world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.